Well, it's my privilege to be here. I always feel like I'm coming back home when I come to teach at Drisha. Um, you can never measure how much, you know, influence your teachers have had. And I feel like every time I learn and every time I teach, I hear echoes of Rabbi Silver or Rabbi Helfgott or different teachers who have taught me in the past, and I'm forever grateful to them. Um, so Pirkei Avot is really an unusual... Mishnah. Um, it's unusual in that it doesn't deal with halachot or laws um, or mitzvot that all of the other Mishnayot deal with, right? The Torah Shabal Peh, our Mishnah in the, in the Gemara, which is a commentary in the Mishnah, is about uh, halachot, it's about mitzvot. Um, and then we have Pirkei Avot, which is about, which has just such a different flavor. Its content is different, its style is different. Um, Pirkei Avot deals with um, attitudes or advice for attitudes towards Torah, towards God, towards interpersonal relationships. Um, and at times it seems so simple. Like Pirkei is often taught um, to high school students or elementary school students because, because its wisdom in many ways is, is, is simple. It can be captured simply. Uh, but yet, of course, there's a, a depth to Pirkei And I think it's always important to, you know, learn things new with fresh eyes. Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to, uh, we're going to learn Pirkei but hopefully with fresh eyes and uh, trying to gain some of its uh, depth. Um, first interesting questions are, why is it called Avot? Right? Somehow I'm, I don't know, I'm in the mood to write. So, uh, so why is it called Avot? Why is this, uh, this Mishnah called Avot? What does Avot mean, of course? Fathers, right? Why, which, uh, which uh, book, which seder of Mishnayot is it in? It's in Nezikin. It's in the book of damages. The book that has to do with uh, my ox gores your ox. How much do we have to pay and who has to pay what? Or the book that deals with uh, judges, right? What are the laws of judges? What are the laws of, of, of witnesses? What are the laws of oaths? So why is Pirkei Avod in, in the book that deals with uh, Nezikin? So why is it in Nezikin, the book of damages. Um, and Pirkei Avot begins with something so unusual. It begins with the Misora, with that Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. It begins with telling us that Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. And then it goes through a whole uh, chronology of who received, who received the Torah from Moshe and who passed it down to whom. And it, uh, and it gives a whole, the whole listing of the Misora, of our inheritance from one generation to another. So why, why begin with Misora? So these are sort of just the first obvious questions about Pirkei Avot. Uh, so what do you think? Why is it called Avot? I'm assuming some people are familiar with some aspects of Pirkei Avot. Uh, so why, why, uh, why is it? And if you're not, that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll learn it together. Um, but for those of you who know something, why is it called Avot? Why is it called Fathers? Okay, okay, great. Right, so, okay, so first, so it's called Avot connected to the sort of the Mesorah, right? This is, uh, um, you know, in books of laws that come from, that come from verses in the Torah, um, we know where we're getting that authority from, right? When we learn the laws of, uh, of, of judges, well, we're using verses that come from the Torah, and therefore we're building on those laws. Here, we're not, they very rarely quote verses from the Torah, right? So we don't have that authority. Um, and actually, the Meiri says this explicitly. Pirkei Avot has to begin by, by, with establishing its own credibility. 
Um, and since it's, since it's so unusual, we want to say that even these attitudes of advice, these, uh, you know, nice pieces of advice, these are coming from, uh, these were given, even these were given to Moshe at Harsinai and passed on. Definitely giving, uh, giving uh, what's in here authority. Uh, why else? Why else is it called Avot? Okay, great. So not only are we going back to Moshe, but let's go back to the original Avot, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov weren't necessarily, though the Chazal wants to say that they actually were keeping the 613 mitzvot, but in the shot, in the simple meaning of the Torah, we don't hear about, their mitzvot, about the 613 mitzvot, but we do hear about sort of them having ethical behavior, them sort of, you know, Avraham and his chesed and, uh, and, and that kind of ethics. So maybe it goes back to the original Avot. Good. I think that the rabbis, so the Pirkei Avot is, uh, the structure of it, it says a rabbi, and the rabbi says this. Um, so and it gives us a statement of the rabbi. So I think part of it is that, um, you know, these, these rabbis are our avot, are our fathers, right? And, and in many ways, I actually think Pirkei Avot can be used as a book to study these rabbis. Um, so a rabbi tells you his outlook on life, right? These three things are the most important things in life. And later, if you're learning another Mishnah or another Gemara and this rabbi appears, I think perhaps his attitude in Pirkei Avot is so fundamental to his, uh, his viewpoint on life that that can influence uh, your reading of other Mishnah or other Gemaras uh, in other places. So in many ways, I think, you know, one way of looking at Pirkei Avot is that it's, it's a description of these rabbis, of these viewpoints of these rabbis that influence uh, other learning. Um, why else could it be called Avot? Instead of talking about the people, what else? could it be talking about are the avot? Okay, good. So the concepts, these concepts that you're going to learn about, these ethics, these ways to, these attitudes towards God, these attitudes towards Torah, these attitudes towards you, other people, these are, are fun, the fundamentals of, uh, of the foundations of all of Torah, right? All of halacha is, the foundation of halacha is ethics, right? That there's something underlying, uh, you know, the specific details of what we do and what we, not, what we don't do, and that comes from, you know, these fundamental attitudes, these foundational attitudes. And we do have a concept in, of different halakhic um, um, areas of sort of an, an av concept, um, and then from that is a tolada, it's, der, it's derivation. So the father concept, we have av malachas on Shabbat, we have sort of father concepts of, uh, of things we can't do on Shabbat. Um, there's sort of, there are Arba Avot Nizikin. There are four categories of uh, of damages. Um, so these are these are also Avot, right? All of these are the foundational uh, categories. Um, okay, good. So Avot could be the people, could be the concepts. It connects us to the past. Uh, and why in Nizikin? Why in Nizikin? Why why in a book that deals with uh, damages or a book that deals with judges? Yeah. Okay, good. Right, there are many types of damages. There's monetary damage, there's physical damage, but there's also emotional damage, and there's also damage to your, your religious being, to your soul, right? There are a lot of types of damages um, that, that take place in the world, and Pirkei Avot is telling us uh, that, these are, that these principles are, uh, are a way to protect you from damaging, damaging others, damaging yourself, um, um, etc. Um, any other ideas about why it's in Nezikin? So the Rambam wants to say that it's, these are really um, directed towards judges. That this is it. So in the Zikin, we also have a whole description of judges. And the Rambam sort of wants to maintain, and you'll act, we'll actually see that many of these, these Mishnayot are directed to judges. 
that, of course, everybody needs to have, you know, strong ethical foundations in terms of uh, viewpoints and attitudes and behavior, but especially judges, when judges are really making decisions that impact other people, even impact other people's lives. So uh, judges um, specifically um, need, to, need to learn and need to know all of these, uh, all of these foundations. Um, and I think in many ways, you know, you can say that sort of before you have Torah, you have ethics. Um, you know, Torah is ethics, but there's sort of a fundamental, uh, you know, framework, uh, ethical framework for Torah. I think before you can have an ethical society, you also need a civil society. You need a structure. You need judges. You need a way for, uh, for, for people to, to realize their consequences to their actions. And there, and there is a, you know, reward and punishment system. And I think somehow that, uh, setting up that type of civil society, um, is a prerequisite for, for, for any ethical existence. Um, and there's even a Mishnah that we'll see in Pirkei that says that you should need to pray for the well-being of the government, because if there's no government, there's chaos, right? So in some sense, uh, right, we need to have an understanding of our civil society before we have our, uh, even before we have ethics, and of course, in order to have uh, ethics, and we need to have some sense of ethics before we ha uh, have Torah. Um, okay, good. And in terms of why does it begin with the Messorah, so we mentioned one idea that it gives it credibility. It gives uh, this credibility. Any other ideas? Right, okay, so this too is given by God, right? Yes, good. This, you know, this too is being given, is, is given by God. It, it certainly has that credibility. Um, I think there's also, so I think there's, so on the one hand, we're setting up credibility for these, you know, ethics. Um, on the other hand, I think Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who codified this Mishnah, is establishing his own credibility um, as a person and his own credibility as, you know, being uh, this, this uh, redactor of the, Mish of the Mishnayot. Um, and we'll see, uh, we'll see in the structure, actually, that you see that clearly. Um, so here, I think Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi consciously is beginning this, uh, is beginning Pirkei with the Mesorah, um, not only to bring credibility to the Mishnah, but to bring credibility to himself and therefore to all of the Mishnayot that he, uh, that he, uh, you know, that he collected. Um, I think there's also sort of an idea that our fundamental ethic, if we're talking about attitude, our fundamental ethic, according to this, is that it, we should believe, our attitude should believe that Torah comes from Sinai and that all of everything in the Mishnayot come from Sinai. Um, that is, uh, that's certainly what, uh, what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wants us to, uh, wants us to believe. Um, so in terms of the structure, we see that Perkabot has six chapters. Um, the sixth one apparently was seem to be added later. The sixth one deals with uh, learning Torah and Torah in general. Like, for example, the Rambam doesn't have a commentary on the sixth chapter, uh, but Rashi does. So perhaps it was, you know, in some parts of the world and not in other parts of the world. Um, the first two chapters are set up very chronologically. Um, this rabbi, and he says these things, and then... He passed on the tradition to his student, and this is the name of his student, and his student said these things. And then the next one is in his student, then, you know, received the Torah from him, and he said these things. The first two chapters, with one uh, sort of a change, and I'll point that out to you, are set up very chronologically. Um, the third and fourth chapters are somewhat, are, are somewhat more random. Here we have a, a rabbi that comes from this time period and says this, followed by a rabbi who comes from a different time period who says this followed by a rabbi from a different time, and it says this. It's sort of just a collection without the chronology. And the fifth chapter, so by the way, it's in your Siddur, it's on page 544, is uh, where you can find Perkei Avot. Um, 
And the, the fifth chapter um, starts with, so on page 570 is the fifth chapter. And this starts with uh, a, listing of, a listing of tens. Here there are ten, with ten sayings the world was created. Uh, there are ten, second one is ten generations from Adam to Noah. Um, a whole listing of tens. Then followed in, in text in nine, followed by a listing of some sevens. And then um, in 12, or maybe 11 too, there are list, in 12 starts a listing of fours. Um, and, and then you have, in starting with 19, you have a listing of Mishnayot that all begin with the word kol. Uh, so it seems, it's a very sort of strange, it doesn't, in the fifth chapter, it, you, you don't see authors of the, of the, of the statements um, so much until you get to the end. Um, and you see that, uh, anyways, the style of Pirkei Avod is very, is very interesting, and it changes with each parak, with each chapter. So we'll look, uh, uh, we'll look a little bit at that, um, at that as well. Okay, so the, our plan is we're going to start learning the first chapter together. Then we're going to break up in Chavruta, and I will give you some sections of the second, sections of the third, and sections of the fourth chapter that you'll do uh, on your own, and I'll sort of give you guidelines of things to think about. And, uh, and then we'll come back together and we'll, uh, and we'll learn all of that stuff together as well. Um, so before that, I want to give a, uh, as we read the first Mishnah, I want to give a, sort of a, a timeline. I think many of you know this. Um, those of you who don't, I think it's always important, it's always good to get sort of perspective. And since the, uh, the Mishnah lays it out for us, um, it's a good idea to, uh, to just to review. Okay, so now we're on to page 544. Um, so the first Mishnah is Moshe kibel Torah Yehoshua So Moshe, we start with Moshe. It's going to be a little tricky. Um, so we start with Moshe. So here's where I'm going to give you now a halakha timeline. Uh, okay, so we start with Moshe. Um, so Moshe, of course, is in the Torah. And uh, you can different, give different dates, but let's say about 1500 BCE. Okay, so Moshe receives the Torah from, uh, from God. Um, so Moshe begins. Um, then we have... Um, then we have Yehoshua. So Moshe passes it on to Yehoshua. Yehoshua is his main student. So Yehoshua is in the book of Joshua. Um, and this, so, okay, Moshe is in the book of Joshua. And then we have the Zikanim, or the elders. Um, so the elders are the leaders. And these are mostly in sort of the book of Judges. Um, and this, I think, you can give a date 1100 to 500 BCE. Um, oh, I'm sorry, 1400, I'm sorry, 1400 to 1100 BCE. Um, and this is supposedly ends with, like, Eli HaKohen. Um, and then after the, the Kanim, we have the prophets, we have the Nevim. Oh, thank you. Um, and the pro- what are names of some prophets? Yeshayahu, Yermiyahu, Shuel, um, Eliyahu, um, 
Shmuel, Eliyahu, Yirmiyahu. So these are in uh, so these are in the Book of Prophets, and this spans about 1100 to 500 BCE. Um, and this sort of ends with Shagai, Zachariah, and Malachi. And then we have uh, the Anshik Tesla, the men of the Great Assembly. So the prophets sort of span um, the, the rest of the books of, of, of the books of our prophets. Um, and then the men of the Great Assembly, anyone know any men of the Great Assembly? I'm sorry? Um, so, no, they're not considered men of the Great Assembly. Um, Ezra and Mordecai, for example. Um, so, Hillel and Shammai will come later. So, we have Ezra and we have Mordecai. Um, and this is about 500 to 300. Um, okay, and then we have the period. Okay, so that's what, that so far that's all we have from in our in our uh, in our first. that are missing. Kings. Okay, good. Why aren't kings mentioned? Right? So other leaders, kings, Malach David, Shlomo, why aren't the kings mentioned? Okay, good. Because the t- right, because the kings were the so no kings. So the kings were were the political leaders, right? David of course according to tradition, writes to Hillim, so he's certainly a spiritual person. Um, but, uh, right, so the, kings are not, so the kings are not mentioned. Um, who else aren't mentioned? Who are spiritual leaders? Priests. Priests, Kohanim. Where are the Kohanim? There are also no Kohanim. Um, so some want to argue, well, included in the Kohanim are some Kohanim, like Eliha Kohen. Um, but during, and especially during the time of the prophets, right, in many ways the prophets are sort of the outcasts of society, right? The Kohanim we think of as the ones who are, uh, who are mostly teaching. So why aren't the Kohanim mentioned? Okay, good, right? So on the one hand, we know that the, that the priest's job is in the Beit HaMikdash, right? And their job is to deal with the sacrifices and to deal with everything in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, I think according to tradition, they're supposed to also be the teachers, right? They're supposed to, they don't have land, and they travel from uh, places, and they're supposed to be teaching. Um, I think especially, thank you very much, I think especially during uh, the time that we are now, um, I mean, in terms of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's time, during the time of the Mishnah, the priests were not the educated one. And actually, there are a lot of Mishnah and Yoma that describe how, you know, they had to teach the Kohen Gadol what to do because the Kohen Gadol didn't know what to do. Um, so, certainly, so certainly at this time, at the time of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the priests were not the teachers. They were, the Talmidei Chachamim were the teachers. And, uh, and I think there is that, that perhaps they were the teachers from a different time period, but, uh, but Rabbi Yehuda Nasi sort of wants to perhaps send, you know, a message that the priests are not, the, are not in the line of the Masorah the way the Talmidei Chachamim are in the line of the Masorah. I think there is something political um, in their, uh, in their um, absence. Yes. Be priests. Great. So I think the... Yeah, I think there's a lot of ambiguity in sort of, you know, in the priest's role, right? See, on the one hand, right, you know, when you think of, 
Um, when you think of B'nai Israel wanting a king, and we think, should they have had a king? You know, Hashem was the king, and if they needed some leader, the Kohen Gadol was the leader. Why did they need, you know, a king? Uh, why did they need some other political leader? And we see that, well, to run a state, you need some other political leader, and then the Kohen Gadol sort of at different time periods wanted to... Um, to, you know, put his own authority uh, in that sphere. So it certainly gets, it gets very complicated. Um, and um, so it's sort of not surprising within uh, that context that the Talmidei Chachamim, Rabbi Yudhanasi, doesn't want the Kohanim, uh, or doesn't emphasize the Kohanim's role. Yes. Right, exactly. There's a lot of, right. There were a lot of, a lot of points in history where the Kohanim were suspect. Yes. Certainly, certainly, certainly. We're emphasizing rabbinic... Yes. Absolutely, 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 right. Um, okay, but it's important to, uh, to, to, to observe that. Um, okay, what... So, okay, so now we have... So we have the men of the Great Assembly, and the men of Anshay Knesset Agdola, they say three things. What do they say? Hevu mitunin badin v'hamidu talmidim harbei v'asus siyag Torah. So be deliberate in your judgment, um, have many students, and, uh, and make a fence around your Torah, asusiag la Torah. So what is, so first of all, it's important to notice that the first comment is hevimetunin badin, right? This is for judges, right? When we talk about Pirkei Avot being in the book of Nezikin, Pirkei Avot is a book for judges, right? Um, uh, also for us, but also for judges. And the first commandment is to ju- is for judges, you need to be deliberate in your judgment. You need to be exact in your judgment. Um, and that's, you know, the highest priority. Um, so that's the first thing, that's the first thing that's mentioned. Um, after that, we have Vamidu Tamidim Harbei, we have, and then have a lot of students. Um, and then we have Asus Siagla Torah. Now, how would you interpret um, Asus Siagla Torah? Make a fence around the Torah. Can I repeat what I said? Okay, so right now we're reading the first Mishnah. Uh, for those people who just came in, we're reading the first Mishnah. The first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, which begins with the whole uh, chronology of, uh, of, um, that starts with Moshe received the Torah from Sinai, from Hashem, and passed it to Yeshua. Yeshua passed it to the Zikanim. The Zikanim passed it to the Nevi'im, and the Nevi'im passed it to the men of the Great Assembly. By the way, what is it that, this, that, that he's passing? Moshe Kibel Torah Mishinai. What is it that he's receiving, and what is it that he's passing? Okay, so the Ten Commandments, so the Torah should be Chetav, is the one hand, the written law, but also the oral law, right? And what does it mean, what is the oral law? Okay, so yes, the Mishnah, but before the Mishnah, what's the oral law? Thanks. The explanation of the written law, right? We have a written law, and in our written law, there's certain things that, that are clearly um, sort of enigmatic. You know, when you put totafot benenecha, what are totafot? We don't know that word from any other place. So clearly, the oral Torah is telling you, oh, that's tefillin, and this is what tefillin uh, look like. Um, and things like pre-eitz hadar, take a pre-eitz hadar and sukkot. What is this kind of fruit? Right, so, the oral, so clearly there was an oral interpretation with the, uh, with the written interpretation. And of course, as new situations, uh, new situations would come up, so the, um, the, oral, the oral law also has sort of a mechanism for interpreting for new situations, right? For making halakha, for continuing halakha, building on the existing halakhic principles and applying those to, to new situations. So the oral Torah sort of consists of, 
initial interpretations of the Torah that were clearly given um, on Sinai, and then perhaps the mechanism of uh, interpreting halakha for, uh, for future situations that, uh, that arise. So, that, so certainly that's part of, uh, that, that is what Moshe is giving to them, giving to them the knowledge and the understanding and sort of you know, the deep insight into how oral law works, how halakha will go. What else is he giving them? Which is he passing to them, which is very important. Not just the knowledge, leadership, the authority, also the authority to do so. Right, exactly. So I think those are the two main components that this first mission is telling us. That here, the, the, the knowledge and the, author, and the authority w- went, you know, for in, this, uh, in this line. Um, okay, great. So, uh, and so the first things that the men of the Great Assembly say, they say, badin, be exact and deliberate in your judgment. Um, have a lot of students and, uh, and build a fence around the Torah. So I, th- I think there's a lot to say about all three of these aspects. But first, let's try to define them. So what is, um, what is a susiagla Torah? What does it mean to make a fence around your Torah? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, so to, um, okay, so to protect the practices of the community, to protect it, enable the community to keep the Torah. So uh, I think that's how it's sort of most commonly understood. Um, as, you, as you have the authority to make takanot, make new laws to protect sort of the old Torah, to protect the Torah. Um, any, uh, any other ways of interpreting it? make a sense. Okay, good, great. Okay, so again, when we talk about the Mishnah being, we talk about sort of Pirkeiavot building credibility for Mishnayot, that's what Mishnayot is all is. It's a siag for the Torah. It sort of protects, uh, it uh, protects or defines or, uh, uh, um, the Torah. Good. So the Me'iri actually wants to say, focusing that this is on, uh, that this is a, a prescription to, uh, to judges, that judges need to guard their words. Know who you're speaking to. Know your students. Don't say everything to all students all the time, right? As it's uh, so um, so la Torah for the judges to uh, to make sure that they that they're speaking in a way that people can understand them, that they know their students and they're speaking to their students. Um, and I think um, I think you know I think also the thing a wonderful thing about Pirkei Avot is that often the statements. Um, are ambiguous and can be interpreted um, in so many different ways, um, and it sort of shows different reflections of different uh, attitudes in uh, um, amongst different leaders by how they interpret it. Right. So if you're if you're a leader who sort of wants more um, um, limiting Torah or sort of wants a narrower perspective of Torah, so they read Asusiag la Torah as make a fence, guard the Torah, keep making more laws to guard and guard and guard the Torah. Whereas if you are a leader who wants more an expansive, perhaps, view of Torah, so you'll read it as, you know, the teacher should know who they're speaking to and make sure that Torah can be learned uh, by everybody. And, uh, um, and um, anyway, so the Me'iri sort of seems to prescribe to that side, that, it's a, that it's, a, it's a message to the judge, to the leader, on how they teach Torah, and a way to teach Torah in a way that everybody can understand. Um, so, yes? Great, 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 right? We're protecting, and the fence is a connotation of protecting. We're protecting the Torah from without, or we're protecting the, uh, um, yeah. 
Um, I think there's also something to sort of like be exact in judgment is sort of seen as, as again limiting. But have lots of students is sort of more expansive. And perhaps is the balance of the two. Um, and many times in Perkevot we'll see statements of threes. Everyone says three things. Um, I think part of that is mnemonic, right? This is some sense oral, and so it's easy to remember threes. But I think also you'll see that there are relationships between the two, and sometimes one is one extreme and one is the other, and the other is, uh, and, the, and the third sort of balances them. Um, and in many ways, right, this is, uh, this is, this, this, these three are prescriptions in general for our attitudes of Torah, right? That we should, we need to be exact, we need to be careful. It's something that we take, that we take seriously, and we're, um, and, and something that we're careful. It's something that we want to continue, so we have lots of students and make sure that it continues. Vasusiyag um, Torah, make it be balanced, right? Make it also something that uh, um, can be accessible. Um, anyways, I think there, all these three things are loaded. We sort of just touched the surface. Is there any other comments that people want to make? Yeah. I'm just looking at that. What's interesting about that is Moshe talked to Israelites. Yehoshua dealt with Israelites and Canaanites. And then as it gets down, you know, in the end, you're encouraged and roll up its place. So, right. you need, as it goes out, you need more definition for the people to whom it's intended. Right. Well, certainly, you know, as we're getting, as we're spreading out, we're going to have more leaders. Moshe's our one leader. Yeshua's our one leader. And then already we have, you know, you know multiple it's leaders. Not, it's not just about the leader. It's about the Where the people are. Who the people, yeah. I mean, how, how connected they are to the society. Right, right. Yeah, so we mentioned, so what we mentioned that the kings aren't mentioned, because the kings are more political leaders and not uh, religious leaders as much. Um, okay, there was some other comment. Uh-huh. I think the, the comment that developed for the disciples is very important. I think they wanted to put the knowledge out there with the people yes. and not give it a religious society yes. and, and they have control Yes, yes. You'll see that so many, uh, Mishnah, so many comments in Pirkei Avot are going to have to do with students. Um, have a lot of students Students, make sure you have a rabbi. Aselech Rav is like mentioned, you know, a couple times, right? Students, make sure you have a rabbi. Rabbis, make sure you have students. That's the primary uh, relationship that's, that's mentioned, right? Not, not parent to child as much, not, uh, well, there's a lot on friendship as well. But, there, but, but certainly student and, and teacher is a, is a, right. And that's what the continuation depends upon, right? Here, this is Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who's a rabbi, who's saying, I need to make sure that everyone has, you know, that we have students. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, absolutely, absolutely, right? It's, uh, it's, it's very deliberate, right? We're, we're uh, um, okay, great. Okay, so next, the next one is Shimon HaTzadik, Hayami Sharek Neset Hagdola. So Shimon HaTzadik, um, it was one of the remaining of the Anshe Knesset Hagdola. And who Haya Omer, this statement also will appear from now on, who Haya Omer, he used to say, or he was known to say, the world stands on three things. So first of all, Shimon HaTzadik, um, he's an interesting person. So he was a Kohen Gadol. Um, and he was the end of, he died in about 300 BCE. So he was the end of Anshay Knesset Hagdola. And there's a story that Alexander the Great um, was sort of coming into Jerusalem. And he came out dressed in full Kohen Gadol garb. 
Um, and when Alexander the Great was coming, you know, ready to attack, when he saw Shemunasadik, he like got off his horse and bowed down. And everyone's like, what do you mean? This king of kings is bowing to this person. And he said he had dreams of, uh, of a man of, who looked like Shemunasadik, dressed in the clothes of Shemunasadik. Um, and, uh, and therefore he had a lot of awe for him. And when he, but when Shemunasadik took Alexander the Great to the Beit HaMikdash, Alexander the Great was, this is amazing, I want an idol of me right inside. And Shimon HaTzadik said, uh, said, well, we can't do that, but I can order that all of the, the people who have boys, this, all of the Jews who have boys this year will name them Alexander. Um, and Alexander, I have friends named Alexander, I think Alexander sort of became a Jewish name from, uh, from this time. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's Shimon HaTzadik. Um, so here, right, he was uh, Kohen Gadol, he was also a political leader, and he was also a scholar, right? So he's, uh, he's got it all. Um, and so who Haya Omer, what do you think who Haya Omer says, means? He's right, he said more than once. Okay, so this is his philosophy, right? This is deeper, right? This is not just something he said once. This is something that uh, his, his reflects his philosophy. He was known to say it. He said it many times. It sort of reminded me of, like, you know, high school kids getting a yearbook quotes from their teachers. Like, you know, what is this I write? You know, who Hayao um, But there's, uh, so this is, this is his outlook, right? And again, if we want to say that Perkyavod is about one way, one way of, Interp- of studying it is, is teaching us about these rabbis. So these, the statements by the rabbis, the statement of who Haya Omer, uh, you know, defines him. Um, so he says the Torah, the world stands on three things: Torah, Avoda, and Gemilut Chasadim. What do you think Avoda is? Torah is pretty well. Torah is probably Torah, learning Torah. Um, Gemilut Chasadim is uh, doing Chasad, uh, kindness to others. What do you think Avoda is? Uh huh. Okay, tefillah, right? So one common interpretation is avoda is tefillah. So starting from korbanot, which are called avoda, and when we don't have korbanot anymore, or even when we did, what was uh, correlating to korbanot sacrifices was tefillah. So certainly, right, relating to God through Torah, relating to God through, av- through tefillah. Um, Torah is sort of, you know, when God speaks to us. Tefillah is when we speak to God. So both of those aspects, or, and milu chasadim, the way we speak to the world. Good. What's another idea? Great. Okay, great. And so in terms of like ma'aseh, like deeds, is that what you mean? So, and there are many Mishnayot that we'll see also that talk about, right, Torah and ma'aseh. You need to learn, but then you also need to put them into practice. You need to do mitzvah. You need to do the Torah that you're learning, right? So it's not just, so on the one hand, it's the it's three pillars are studying and then one are uh, then putting into practice and then uh, acts of chesed. And again, the acts of chesed, you know, the, the sense of our commandments for chesed um, are much less defined than our commandments in other areas. Um, I mean, we have commandments of, of like stuck on that kind of stuff, but in terms of like, um, you know, helping, visiting the sick, and uh, those things are sort of less they're, less, they're less defined. So I think in that sense they have their own category. What else could Avoda be? I think all, both of you are right, but I think it's enough. What? Actual work, right? Plowing the field, right? And that's what, and that's what the world goes, runs by, right? We have to Torah, we have to learn, but we also have to work. We have to build roads, and we have to, you know, build houses, and we have to get plant food, and we have to, you know, teach math, or we have to, you know, do 
do whatever it is that we do to, um, to, to make the world row. What? Avodat Kiyum? You mean like raising children and stuff? Yeah, right, raising children. Exactly. All the work that we do, excellent. All the work that we do um, um, is part of the way the world uh, runs. And again, I think in terms of what we're saying, that right, avoda can mean so many different ways, different things, and depends on what take you're going you're gonna to interpret it the way that, uh, um, that corresponds to your outlook, right? If you think uh, people should just uh, learn and daven all day, then you might interpret avoda, you know, not uh, as meaning other things. Or if you recognize that there's a holiness to your work. Um, and I think that's it. I think um, actually Rabbi uh, Saul Berman talks about um, holiness in our in our everyday actions and like you know and the whole idea of so many of the laws for uh, agriculture um, because people were farmers and the point is let's bring mitzvot and holiness into the farming that you do right and that's what that's what our life should be we should it shouldn't be that necessarily that we uh, do our work and then when we're free that's when we do our Torah and that's when we do our mitzvot right the Torah and mitzvot should be through our work um, we should find uh, you know ways to bring holiness and mitzvot into our actual work. Um, yes. Just looking at the shot of this, does this imply that these three things are there's equal emphasis on all three? Good, good. What do you think? Does it sound like there's three equal emphasis on all three? Yes. It does sound that way, right? There's sort of you, you know, and you know, the idea also is, you know, a chair can't stand on two legs. A chair, the, you know, you need three pillars for a world to stand, for anything to stand. Um, four is more stable, but three is uh, three is the minimum. Um, I think there's something to the order, right? Torah comes first, then comes Avod, and then comes Gilead Chassidim. Perhaps there's a reason Torah is first, but all three are necessary. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing to think about. Uh-huh. I'm just thinking in my mind that maybe some of the conflicts between the three major denominations today are based on different emphasis on mm-hmm, the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So his point is that perhaps uh, different of underlying differences between the different denominations in Judaism is that each one is uh, emphasizing a different aspect of this. Um, I think that, you know, I think actually you can say that all of the rest of Pirkei Avot um, are commentaries on this Mishnah, right? This Mishnah is really the foundation, right? If the one beforehand sort of is directed to judges, right? Judges, you need to have, uh, we need to have a good uh, civil society. We need to have judges that are exact. We need to have judges that will con- make sure that their work will continue for next generations. Now that we have our civil society, let's tell, the, let's tell me what my basic foundational ethics are, and they're these, that there are three pillars, Torah, Avodah, and Gemilut Chassadim. And now the rest is commentary on that. Um, and um, so, yes, I think these are three main, three main categories. Any other uh, comments on this? Um, Okay, so let's, let's continue a little bit more. Um, so next we have Antigonus Ishsocho. So Antigonus Ishsocho kibal Shimon HaTzadik. So he received from Shimon HaTzadik. So of course he received the knowledge and the authority, right? Um, Antigonus, by the way, uh, what does his name sound? <laughs> Greek, right? So he lived actually during the time of Hanukkah, during the uh, Hellenism. And he, um, he actually had two famous students. Anyone know who his students were? Uh, no, they're actually not favorable students. Sadok and Baitos. So he, these are starting of the Tzadukim, the Sadducees, so, um, the, and, uh, and the Baitosim are similar sect. 
So he had two students who started sects that were went against uh, mainstream rabbinic Judaism. Baitos, Bet Yud Yud Tav Samech. Um, and, and, and actually, so let's read his statement. So, who haya Omer? What does he say? So, don't be students who serve the master, don't be workers, excuse me, who serve the master in order to get a reward, in order to get a, a payment. But rather, be like servants, workers who serve their master not to get a reward. And you should have the fear of heaven upon you. So um, everybody sort of, or it's often read that this, you know, you should have the fear of heaven upon you was, uh, was directed towards his students who swayed and didn't have the fear of heaven upon them, which is why they uh, were, uh, you know, why they went against, uh, um, they, they, in, in many ways, they sort of uh, were stricter to uh, Torsha Bechtav and not didn't follow Torsha Balpeh. Um, and uh, there were many sects actually, really, at this time. But uh, these are two. Uh, these were two important ones who went against uh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Went against Rabbinic uh, Judaism, not Rabbi Yehuda Nasi because he didn't live yet, but his uh, his, his legacy. Um, so, okay, what do you think of what he says? Be like servants who serve not to receive a reward. Yes? Great. Great. So this is the next level, right? Now after we've established the three foundations, now know what your motivation should be, right? Your motivation should be, uh, should be lishma, should be pure. I mean, and it sounds like it's out of, uh, out of love, right? If you do things not for reward, you should do it out of, out of love. That's what you, when you do things because you don't care about consequences, you do it for their own sake, you're doing them out of love. And yet, he ends with fear, right? Yeah. when we were trying to keep Torah and being punished for it. And he says, you know, look, keep, keep Torah, serve God, even when you don't get a reward, and even when you are being punished, right? And here, you feel like servants, right? Here, you're at a time where you're being persecuted, where you feel like, you know, like lowly servants. Um, and, yeah, I think his language is very, is very deliberate. Um, what else? Yeah. of, you know, you know, we're slaves of God, so we're, uh, and there's sort of a connotation of slavery. Perhaps that's what Sadok and Baitos rejected, right? They didn't want to be slaves. They wanted to interpret it differently where they had sort of a higher level of uh, a different, a different um, you know, philosophy in existence in terms of uh, their relationship with Hashem. Um, yeah, I think there could be, there is something harsh, which uh, I think certainly also reflects the time, but there is a... Uh, um, 
But is there anything redeeming? <laughs> because if you're a slave who doesn't care about payment, in some sense, are you still a slave? Right? I mean, you, you have your internal freedom, right? So that's, so, and, that's, and that's his point, right? Even if, you're, even if we're slaves, if we're being persecuted, if you, if you don't care about your, the, the reward, if you don't care about the payment, then you, then you have your internal freedom. Um, so there's something elevating, there is something elevating about that. And I think there is sort of this, uh, this um, mixture between love and fear. Um, you know, the ideal is love, but the ideal is love through fear, fear through love, and somehow, uh, somehow they're connected. Any other thoughts about this? Yeah. when you're serving human masters, right, don't think of uh, the dependence on them. Think about the, the, the dependence on God. Yeah, nice, nice. Any other thoughts? Um, okay, so after Antigonus, then we get to the period of the zugot. And zugot means pairs. Um, and this is about 300 to 30 CE. And there are five pairs. Um, yeah. 300 BCE to 30 CE. Um, so there are five pairs that are all mentioned uh, here in this Mishnah. Um, so I think most, it's interpreted that the first one is the Nasi and the second one is the Av Beit Din. So these are the two leaders of the Sanhedrin. Um, and they, um, and they, they were, they had the authority, right? They headed the Sanhedrin, so they were the head judges, right? Which is why, again, this is in Ezekiel. Um, and they, uh, they had the authority over, um, over, over Torah and, and teaching Torah to, to, to all of the students around them. So the first pair is Yosef ben Yoezer Ishtreda, the Yosef ben Yochanan Ishru Shalayim. Kiblu Mehem. So they received from them. And I think the them is they're receiving from Antigonus and they're receiving from uh, Shimon HaTzadik and sort of the rest of Anshay Knesset Hagdola. Um, and so what is it that they say? Yosef ben Yoezer Ishtreda Omer, Yehi Beitcha Beitvad Lachachamim, let your house be a place that Chachamim congregate. Be a place that Chachamim congregate. They meet and cling right to the dust of their feet. and drink with thirst uh, their words. And then let's read the next one or the beginning of the next one. Let your house be open wide. And let poor people be, uh, be constantly members of your house. And don't speak excessively to a woman. 
Uh, okay, and then I think the rest of this of that is sort of seen as commentary. And it says, "Be'ishto amru." He's talking about your wife. Kal b'chomer be'eshet chaveru. Even more so for your uh, your friend's wife. Mikan amru chachamim kol hamar besicha imayshag garem ra'alatzmo. So from here, the chachamim say anyone who speaks too much to a woman will cause bad things to befall him. Uvotel medivrei Torah will uh, nullify his uh, learning Torah, and the sofo yoresh Gehenim, and the end will inherit Gehenim. Um, okay, so before we get to the Alter Besicha Im Haisha, which of course you can't ignore, uh, let's look at the first, uh, the other two. So what's the, what's the parallel that you see, of course? Okay, so the second, so, so great. So first of all, great. So first notice that Antigonus Ishsocho is talking about Avoda, he's talking about Avodim, Avadim. Yosef ben Yoezer is talking about Torah. And Yosef ben Yochanan is talking about Gibilut Chasadim, right? So these, those three pillars, the first three Mishnayot uh, are commentaries on those, uh, each sort of choosing a different, uh, a different pillar to discuss. Um, so great. So that's the first observation. The second is, uh, what parallels do you see between uh, Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan? In terms of the first piece of both of their statements, what are they talking about? Your house. Exactly. What kind of house are you establishing? So Yosef ben Yoezer says, establish a house that is devoted to Talmidei Chachamim. You want them to congregate to them to you. And of course, this is a uh, this is an instruction not to the judge but to the layperson, right? And, and so that's what your house should be—a house where Talmidei Chachamim come to your house. And uh, and and there's something sort of degrading, right? You should be you should you know sit in the dust of their feet and you should drink thirstily their words, right? You sort of are low and they are so elevated high and you should cling, you should cling to them. Um, and Yosef ben Yochanan, what's his attitude? Openness to the poor, right? Let your house be open, open wide and let the, let the poor people congregate, uh, congregate in your house. So again, which one are you uh, emphasizing? And I think there is, with the Torah sort of to the layperson, it's sort of, you know, putting him down. I mean, of course, if you're, you know, better to be at the tail of a lion than the head of a, the expression? The lion, the head of a donkey, right? So if you're, uh, you know, better to be close to the Talmudei Chachamim than, you know, than not. Um, but, uh, but the other one is with the poor people, you are, you know, you are the one who is, uh, who is, is, is giving food and drink and cleaning the dust off the feet of the poor person. So there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of parallel. Um, and I think a lot of, so Kahati wanted to interpret Altar Besicha Im Haisha as, um, as specifically, if your wife doesn't want you to have poor people in your house, don't listen to her. Uh, so in the context of, uh, of the poor people, of course, you know, nowadays we know both men and women are so generous in their house, but especially women are generous uh, um, in, in feeding guests to their house. Um, but... Um, um, so he, because it, it doesn't fit, right? Alter Besicha just doesn't fit with the other, uh, with the message of the Mishnah, um, unless it means uh, something else. Um, okay, any other comments, or should we talk more about Alter Besicha So what do you do with a statement like that, right? This is another problem that we have, especially Pirkei Avot. We want it to be, you know, Pirkei Avot is ethics, foundational, eternal, perfect. <laughs> of course, nothing's perfect, but um, but and then you have the statement that totally doesn't fit <laughs> into everything else that you're talking about, but yet it's a statement that we have to deal with, right? Or it's a statement that we have to come to understand. Um, 
the statement of Altar Besicha Im Haisha. Don't speak excessively to women. Oh. Well, um, I, I don't think that means Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Any other suggestions? Great. Great. from a time where women weren't as educated and, uh, um, and I think that is, you know, an important perspective to have when you read these kind of statements. I think there's also, right, there's a, you know, what does it, st- it say? It says, don't have excessive this co- conversation with, uh, you know, and sicha, conversation of sicha uh, with a woman. Um, I had one friend who interpreted it as, you know, don't speak excessively to a woman just because she's a woman. Right? You speak to a person, and as you would to a person, but if you're speaking to someone just because she's a woman with, uh, you know, that intention, um, then, you know, then that's what it's, uh, that's what it's referring to. Um, and sicha could also be, there's something like, sicha could also have a connotation of not, uh, of sort of a certain type of conversation. Um, so, and I think, yeah, there could be, you know, truth to the statement, to the advice, don't speak excessively to a woman because she's a woman about things that are uh, inappropriate to speak to about women. Um, but, um, but there's, right, but there's still something that's sort of, you know, when you read it, you like say, oh no, you know, what is, uh, why does it say that, right? Um, especially as women. Um, so I think, you know, I think, right, what do you do when you see statements like this? I think you, Find a way to interpret it in a way that, um, that um, f- like, find the truth in it. Find the way to interpret it so that you see the truth in it. Let it teach you something. Um, and also recognize that it comes from a context, when it comes from a time period when things were, uh, when things were different. Um, actually, Buria, uh, the Gemara, there's a Gemara about that Buria, who's a famous woman scholar in the Gemara, um, you quote this uh, verse when someone asks her how to get to Lud, and she's like, you could have asked me more concisely, right? so she, uh, she uh, uses it to teach him, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in that tomorrow, but uh, she uses it, uh, you know, to, to make a point. Yes? I was just going to say, in, in our times, you can uh, just want to be woman, Mm-hmm. 
could lead to a casual relationship, whereas a serious conversation could lead to a serious relationship, right? Serious is good, the casual... students of Aharon, love peace, run after peace, love all other creations, 
um, and, uh, and bring them closer to, to Torah. So here we deviate. Here Hillel says, gets three statements of what he says, right? The others just have one. It's nice and concise. Here we're deviating. Hillel gets three. Um, and then we have Shammai. And so Hillel and Shammai are the last of the... Hillel and Shammai are the last of the Zugot. Um, and then... It means a pair. A couple or a pair. A Zug. Uh, it's, not, it's not here, but that's what they're called. Um, so they're co- so this so ends with Hillel and Shammai, um, and um, and then we start. So after so then in, so if you look in the, so 15 Tedvav is, is says what Shammai says, and then 16 has Rabban Gamliel Haya Omer. What's missing? Okay, so the pairing has ended, so we no longer have another pair. But what else is missing? What did all the other, what do you notice in, uh, say, 12? Hillel the Shammai, before it says what they say. Kiblumehem, received from them. Okay, so, up, so now we have, the, when, the, when the pairs end with Hillel and Shammai, we also have sort of uh, this nice direct Kiblumehem, sometimes since also ends. And uh, so Hillel and Shammai end in about, uh, I think Hillel dies in about 30 CE, Soon after that, we have the destruction of the temple, um, and then the Sanhedrin takes on a whole new role. Once the, um, the it, it really takes on the role of a Beit Midrash in some sense, a place of study instead of a place of uh, asserting uh, uh, laws. Um, and um, and and we and he, and Hillel and Shammai have sort of so many students and so many disputes that somehow the nice uh, the nice clean chain uh, gets either you know gets sort of expanded. Um, so there's no, there's no one person or one pair who is Kiblu Mehem. It's actually uh, many people. Um, and here, though, so here, let me also just give you some genealogy, which will be important. So Hillel, Hillel has a son. Let me make sure I get it right. Hillel has a son named Shimon, who's not mentioned in Perkei Avot. So we'll put brackets. And Shimon has a son, Rabban Gamliel, who's, next, who's the one who's next mentioned. So Rabban Gamliel is Hillel's grandson. Um, and then he has a son named Shimon, who is mentioned. And then he has a son named Gamliel. They all have the same name, so it gets confusing. So he's not mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, so this, uh, he's known as Gamliel ben Shimon, because um, he's just known as uh, Rabban Gamliel. And he's sort of known as Rabbi Gamliel ben Shimon. And then we have another Shimon, and then we have Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, and then he has a son named Gamliel, too, of course. Um, but what you notice here in the next Mishnayot, I don't know if people could see, what you notice here in the next Mishnayot is, um, um, so in so 16 is Rabban Gamliel, and this is what he says, and then in 17 is his son, Shimon Beno, and this is what he says, and then we have Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, so we skipped him, and then we have him, and that's how chapter two, 1 ends, and chapter 2 begins on page 550 with Rabbi Omer, with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi Omer. So you see, all of this, and this is right, he's a new chapter for emphasis. All of this is to show the, uh, the credibility and the authority of, uh, of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, so chapter 2 starts with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, and then we have, um, and then we have Rabban, then, and then after that, it's so... Chapter 2, number 2, Mishnah 2, is, is Rabban Gamliel, Benosho Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. And then he says a few things. 
And then if you look at, at five, so chapter two, Mishnah five, who do we go back to? Hillel Omer. Then we have some more things about Hillel. So, so from here, this is where our sort of chronology really ends. Then we go back to Hillel, so that way we can get to another student of Hillel's, which is in Tet, in nine, we have uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And here, for Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, we do have ben... All right, ben Zakkai. So here, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in, in Tet says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Kibel mehelel v'shamai. So he, umishamai. So he, some have sense, is Kibel, right, in a way that uh, Hillel's direct descendants are not. By the way, these are all the Nisim. So the Nisim go from, uh, um, get passed down um, through Hillel's dynasty, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, and, but Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, of course, is, you know, there are many that say that, you know, he was the best student of Hillel. And then in Yud, we start with, and these are five students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And then Perkiavod uh, mentions some interesting things about them. And that's actually what I want us to begin to study. So, um, so, and then, so, and chapter two basically goes through a whole description of five of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's students. Um, and then it mentions a few other things and then it ends. And then chapter, chapter 3 and 4, as I said later, um, don't have this nice chronology. Um, by the way, just to finish up here, so after the Zugot, after the Zugot, we have the Tanaim. So the Tana, who are the Tanaim? Right, authors of the Mishnah. So this is about, say, 30 to 200 CE. Um, so this is the Mishnah, authors of the Mishnah. And then we have Amoraim. Uh, who are Amoraim? Authors of the Gemara, right? So this is, well, there was a lot of debate here. We'll give it to 600 CE. And there are also Saboraim who, uh, who uh, came after that Amoraim. Um, so if we include Saboraim, we'll give it to 700 CE. Um, and this is where, so this is where we have, uh, you know, a Babylonian and a Jerusalem Talmud. Talmud Yerushalmi and Talmud Bavli. And then we have Geonim, the Geonim period, which will say 700 to 1,000 or something. And here we have Chai Gaon and Sadia Gaon. And then we have Rishonim. You can't see? Okay. Who are some of the, who are some Rishonim? Okay, I'll move it all the way over. All the way over. Um, anyways, I feel like once I'm starting with the Masora, it's hard not to finish. Um, with the Halakhic timeline, it's hard not to finish. So here we have Rishoni, we have Rashi, we have Rambam, we have Ramban. Um, so this, about 1,000 to say 1,500, this is where we have the Spartak and Ashkenaz split. Um, and then we have Achronim, and Achronim generally are uh, begin after um, after what big book? The Shulchan Aruch. Right, so after after the Shulchan Aruch. Um, so this is basically until like 1900, and now we're the later, later ones. <laughs> um, something like that. Um, anyway, so this is just it's a good, uh, it's always good to, to get this kind of perspective. Okay, so now what is it that I want us to do? So let's look the Chavruta 
at the fascinating description of uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's students. Um, so, um, and then I selected some other passages that I think are particularly interesting. So this was an intro. We had to do the first few just to, to give everybody a, a flavor for what Pirkei Avot is like. So, okay, so chapter two. So do chapter two, Mishnayot eight through fourteen. Chapter three, Mishnayot four, seven, and eight. And then chapter four, uh, ten through fifteen. Okay, so we end. I'll see how much time you want. Certainly forty-five minutes or so. So look at these. Look at these Mishnayot. With the, find a partner. Um, read them out loud together. That's the best way for a chavruta to work. Um, and think about. So, so think about um, think about the significance of them. Think about sort of you know the connection between Mishnah that come earlier, Mishnah that come after. Especially here, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is going to give you a whole description of all of his students. Think about what this description means, and then he, his students sort of um, give their interpretation of what is the best derech yeshara. So think about uh, how the description of him influences what their students say. And then they also go and give a statement to Ayahomer. So think about the connection between all of it. So uh, how was your Chavruta time? Was it good? Okay, good. Um, so, um, so I apologize for writing the wrong Mishnayot. Uh, um, there are different versions that have uh, different uh, orders. Um, so... Okay, so first, I guess, first we see Hillel, right? In the middle of chapter 2, we talk about Hillel. Um, and, this, um, and this section, this gives many statements of Hillel that are very different from... Um, so I'm about to be, I'm about to start 2.8. So page, uh, page 252, page 552. Um, so this gives, it gives many statements of Hillel that... Um, that sort of presents things as very black and white, right? You see that from, well, what were your impressions of, of, of eight? So, right, the more, the more meat, the more worms, the more possessions, the more worries, the more women, the more witchcraft, the more uh, uh, maidservants, the more thievery, or the more um, lewdness, thanks. The more male servants, the more uh, theft. But more Torah, more Chaim, more sitting, more Chachma, uh, etc. So what, is, what were your impressions of that one? Yeah. Exactly. Everything's black and white, right? Um, and there, there is this, you know, on the one hand, we think of Hillel as being so go after peace. Everyone can learn Torah. You know, the stories of... You know, the man says, teach me Torah standing on one foot, and Hillel says, I'll teach it to you, right? Come and, you know. Um, and, and yet, these statements of Hillel are sort of, um, they're just, they're not the same flavor. Not that they're contradictory, but they're just a different flavor. Actually, if you look at 6, uh, right on top, he says, Ein bur a person who's a, 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 a pit or a boor or someone who uh, cannot, cannot fear sin. And a person who uh, is unlearned cannot be a chassid, cannot be, and we'll talk about what a chassid means, we see that in other places too, but cannot be incredibly pious. And there's something, um, not, 
maybe demeaning or maybe you know not as inclusive as uh, as the Hillel that we know from uh, from other from other places. Um, anyways, just to to point yes. Right, 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 right. I mean, if you're inclusive of everything, right, then nobody's pushing themselves and nobody's striving, right? So again, you need a balance, right? And at times he's going to be inclusive, and at times he's going to say you need to push yourself. And and uh, uh, yes. If you learn so much Torah, don't think you're so great, right? That's what you were, you know, that's what you were created for. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh-huh. 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 Does it, can you, does it come in uh, contrast to the, how do you read it? Remember, one thing to do in Pekava, read things juxtaposed to what comes right before it. Right, Hillel's telling you, learn Torah, the more Torah, the more life, right? Everything's going to be so great for you. Think of yourself as so great. And Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai says, you know what? Don't, don't, don't think things are going to be so great. They might not necessarily be so great, but that's, your, you were, that's what you were created for, right? That's what, you were, uh, uh, that's what you're here for, right? You're doing your job. That's your job. Um, so, um, so, yeah, hopefully, Marbet Torah, Marbet and hopefully, you know, good will come from that. But that's not, uh, but but not necessarily. That's not the given. You're here for you're here for your job. That kilchak no starta. That's what you were created for. Yeah. Did you want to say something? Uh, I was going to say it reminds me a little bit about the you know keeping the two ideas with you that are just and Exactly. Exactly. Kind of aspirational that it, 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 all the greatness in life that can come to you. Right. 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 Great. Great, great, great. Which is why we need these juxtaposed, right? We need the motivational speaker. Now here we think Hillel's, Hillel is a, is a motivational speaker, right? Hillel says, you do Torah, things will be great. But then you need Rabbi Ophna Mitzakai to say, you know what? Yeah. I was looking for a little bit different Great, great. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right, I think there's also something, right, there's sort of like this idea, especially if you think of this uh, chain. On the one hand, this chain, you think of, you know, the farther down you get, the farther and farther you get from Harsinai. So maybe there's, uh, you know, the chain is going down called Kitne Hadoro. The, the generations sort of are getting smaller, 
But on the other hand, each generation is sitting on the shoulders of the previous generation, and therefore, you know, maybe we're sitting higher. Uh, and again, you want both of those perspectives. Uh, great. Uh, okay, one, two, three, yes. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Great. So maybe Rabbi Yochanan Mezaka is really talking to the Talmud Chacham, right? Again, to the judge, to the leader, saying, you think, yes, you're a leader, yes, you know so much Torah, you know what? That's what you were created for. That's the way God created you with that talent, and that's what you're created for. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And again, we see there is this sort of tension, right? Are the Talmudei Chachamim supposed to be sitting, and then the lay people are supposed to be, you know, you know, eating the dust of their feet, or sitting by the dust of their feet, or thirsting their words? Is this, their, is this that hierarchy? Or, uh, or perhaps is everybody doing, you know, what they're good at, and is there more of an equality? You see, on both sides. Yeah. You're created different from the animals. You're created, right, as a higher being, right? So, so give to that. The way to, to the way to give to that is to learn Torah. Great. Well, I'm just uh, ending what others said already. Uh, by studying Torah, things will, will really be good. Uh huh. Uh huh. You're doing it just so you can show off. Uh huh. Uh huh. Show everybody uh-huh. how smart you are. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. Emphasize with humility. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, you guys had great chabrutas. That's good. Um, okay, so now we hear about his students, right? So in 10, Chamishat Talmidin Hayulo Rabban Yochanan Ben Zakai. And Eluhen, these are, these are they. Rabbi Eliezer Ben Horkanis, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Hanania, Rabbi Yossi HaKohen, Rabbi Shimon Ben Netanel, and Rabbi Elazar Ben Arach. Now 11, Hu Hayam Shifran. So Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zakai praises each of them, right? He lists each of their praises. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkanus is a bor sud she'eno ma'abed tipa. So what does that mean? He's a, uh, he's a pot, or I guess here it says a, a cistern, that has a, that's cemented so that it can't lose even a drop. So there's this, uh, I guess, cement or sediment over the, the pot, so therefore nothing can leak through. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania is ashrei yoladito. Praise is she who bore him, who gave birth to him. Rabbi Yossi HaKohen is a chassid. He's a chassid. Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel is a yurei chet. He's one who fears sin. And Rabbi Elazar ben Arach is kama'ayan hamit gaber. He is a spring that flows stronger and stronger. So what do these mean? What's a bor so chain on my What's that image? He retains everything. He has the perfect memory, right? He is a student who remembers everything. He not, he's, he, he's a sponge, right? A sponge with no leaks, right? Everything goes right in. Um, what? He absorbs everything. Great. Okay, so he's praised for his, uh, you know, he has a photographic memory, perhaps, right? He's perfect, perfect memory. Um, and what's Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania? Praises the woman who came first him. Praises the woman who gave birth to him. Perhaps well-rounded. There's nothing specific, right? We don't know. So here with, here with um, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, we know his strength. He, this is his student, and we know the strength of the student. Um, and actually, you see many other Mishnah that talk about students and different types of students. 
And here, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah, we're not sure exactly. So praise be his mother. Uh-huh. Women, maybe he's respectful of his parents or of his uh, or his elders or something. Sometimes I think there is a connotation that it's more personality and less intellect. That there's, I mean, perhaps also obviously parents are proud of smart children, but I think there is a connotation of something uh, of something broader. Um, there actually, I think, are stories of of um, of Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania's mother who would take him, I think maybe she was pregnant and she would take him, she, while she was pregnant, she would go to different Batei Midrashim to uh, ha- have it absorbed through, or when he was little he would take him. So I think there is also this idea that, you know, that it worked, right? Praise be his mother, it worked. His mother wanted him to be a Talmud Chacham and he was. Um, so there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's, something, there's something on that. Yeah. Good. Uh huh. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think there is that. There is that connotation. Um, okay. But again, it's ambiguous, right? Rabbi Yossi Cohen is a chassid. So what's a chassid? Or yeah. So he's giving praise to the students, um, but Yeah. 
Okay, so someone who's very meticulous about each and every law. I think there's even a connotation that he's lifani mishuratadi. He goes beyond what is expected. Um, but I think that's a good point. Is he doing exactly what's expected, you know, to the T? Or is he even going, you know, beyond what's expected? And sometimes beyond might not always be the best. Sometimes maybe it is. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. So, yeah, so what do people think? What's the difference between a chassid and a sadiq? Sadiq, more emphasis on learning. Sadiq, more emphasis on learning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, sadiq is sort of righteous. Righteousness indeed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that that's true. I think that's true of the English words that they have that connotation. The question is, do the Hebrew words? Um, uh-huh. with God, encapsulates his relationship with others, and doing everything as is expected. And I think a chassid, which we'll see, well, we can t- we'll talk more about a chassid when we get to the end, but a chassid might do, might go beyond, might do, uh, might do, go beyond in terms of others. Uh, yeah? Yeah, has more wisdom. has more wisdom. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. A chassid represents sort of extra rachamim, extra mercy, and a tzaddik is more tzaddik, more of uh, exactness. Uh huh. Uh huh. Good. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, okay. And the last person, Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel, is a yerechet or not the last person, second to last. So he uh, fears sin. It's interesting also in terms of six, right? Hillel talks about Aimbor Yerechet and Velohamar Tchassid. And here we have a boar, a boar who's so chenoma betipa, so sort of, you know, uh, changing boar. Uh, and we have someone who's Yerechet and we have someone who's Tchassid. Um, of course, we don't have an Amar, so these are, uh, um, these are great positive characteristics. Um, and... Okay, so without one who fears sin, um, what do you think that is? Other than what it is? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So more in terms of his relationship with God, less in terms of relationship with others. Um, and what about, what's Kamayan Hamit Gaber? 
an overpouring spring, overflowing spring. What's that image? What? A contrast between Mayana Mitchgaber and Bor Sheinomas Mabetipa. Uh huh. Uh huh. Full of light. Good, good, good. Um, so, yeah, I think there is something that he takes everything in and then gives his own back to it, right? And so amplifies in a nice way, or, you know, it's sort of like a stream, always has sort of new water coming through it. So he uh, takes the old water and changes it to new water. He, uh, he, he, he adds to it, right? Um, and when you think about a student, right, what kind of student do you want? Do you want a student who just memorizes everything you say, or do you want a student who challenges back or brings back or adds to a higher dimension, right? There's, uh, there's something very poetic about, all, about these, especially the first and the last, right? The, these uh, Rabbi Yochum Mazaka was a poet. Um, yeah. Great, 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 great. Water is a metaphor for Torah. So this is what specifically he's uh, he's overflowing with. He inculcates studying Torah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, oh, the book, the Fountainhead, by Ayn Rand, right? Ayn Rand is my enemy. That's interesting. <laughs> On the side. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think that you said it's in the teacher great great He's the one who's deemed right at each, uh, at each age. Um, and um, 
And right, and in terms of right, there's a balance not just in terms of intellect, but also in terms of uh, deeds, and in terms of um, attitudes, and in terms of um, um, philosophies. And um, you know, w right. So what will what will these students be teachers of? So maybe someone will be a teacher teaching people how to how to fear sin, teaching people how to live that kind of life, um, or, pe or teaching people how to be a chassid, how to really be a giving person. Um, so there's something um, um, sort of, I guess, um, exciting about that there are different, on the one hand you see that there are different mo levels, different models for being, um, for being, a, gr for being a great student. Um, but of course then in the next Mishnah he says you think they're all equal and that they all have different strengths, but if you would, uh, you know, weigh all of them, if you would compare them, if you put all of Chachmei Yisrael on one side of the uh, scale and Eliezer ben Horkinus on the other side, you know, he would, be, he would be greater. Of course, the question is, what is this a scale of what? What are you judging, right? Um, if you're judging Chassidut, then uh, maybe, you know, maybe it wouldn't be uh, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. Maybe it would uh, be Yosei Cohen if you're judging uh, something else. Um, and then Abba Shaul says, actually, no, you're, you're wrong. You heard it wrong, right? It's not Eliezer ben Horkinus, it's actually Eleazar ben Arach, right? It's that he's the one who's greater than, uh, than all the others. Um, it is interesting if this is sort of a discrepancy in, uh, in uh, that there were two opinions and they weren't sure which is right. Of course, the names Eliezer and Eleazar are very similar. So you can see how there could have been easily a mistake being made as to, or an ambiguity as to which one, as to which one it is. Um, of course, it seems by the rest of the Mishnayot that, in fact, it is um, Elazar ben Arach who is the one who is greater. Yes. innovation, right? There's a fear in uh, being able to change things and make things new. There's something safe in just preserving as it is. But, um, but of course, right, that's not what Torah is about. Torah is this dynamic system that is supposed to live in each generation and therefore each generation is supposed to add to it. Um, but yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's exactly right, a good point, that this is a, that this is a debate as to what, what's the best way to, to transmit Torah. Do you want to transmit it for someone who's going to keep it exactly the way you're teaching it? Or, or are you daring enough to transmit it to someone who might, uh, who might add their own? Yes. tradition from both of them and uh, then he funnels it out in, a, uh, in all these different ways. So some might be more like Hillel and some might be more like Shammai. Um, okay, so let's, uh, so let's go on. So what is it that they, so then he says, tell me, go and tell me, what is Derech Tova Shigidbach Bahadam? What is the best way to, uh, to, to, that a person should cling to, uh, to what, what is the best thing that a person should cling to? What's the you know, most important thing uh, a person to, to do in this world? So Rabbi Eliezer says, what? Ayin tova, good eye. What does that mean? What is a good eye? Uh-huh, okay, look at things, uh-huh, an attitude where you look at things positively, right? You see things well. What else could it mean? 
It's, it's often interpreted as being samer b'chalko, happy with what you have. A good eye is in, you know, what you have is good. Um, I think connecting him to being a, uh, this person who retains everything and a person with a photographic memory, I think he thinks having a good eye is being able to, to see, you know, see things well and, and know them well, right? Somehow uh, uh, a person who remembers everything wants to see everything, right? So he says the most important thing is to see, to see things well and therefore, he'll, uh, and therefore he'll know them well. Um, but that's the way that he, that's the way that he interacts with the world by, you know, memorizing, by photographically memorizing, mem- um, um, or, or else it's, you know, not necessarily connected to, to, to being a borsuch, you know, my beti path. Um, okay, what about the next? What Rabbi Yeshua says, a chaver tov, having a good friend. Where do you think, uh, so again, I think you could probably say that if Rabbi Yeshua ben, if we want to read Ashrayoladato, as lucky as the person who raises him, that he's a, he's a, he's, he's close to his family, he's close to his friends, he, he, uh, he takes, uh, relationships, um, um, they're important to him. So he says a chaver tov because that's, that's right, that's his life. His life is one of, uh, relationships. Um, and so therefore, therefore being a chaver tov is, uh, is, is the most important. Uh, Yossi, Rabbi Yossi Amir Shachain Tov, a good neighbor, where does that come from? If he's a chassid, he likes giving to people, right? So be a good, give to the people around you. Be a good neighbor, whoever you see, whoever around you, give to them, right? That's his, uh, that's his, his personality. So you see, it's like, you know, everything is, uh, everything is connected. Um, and Rabbi Shimon Omer Haro'et Hanolad, See what, uh, know the, see, see, consider outcomes of deeds, consider consequences of deeds, right? He's afraid of sin, right? You're afraid of the consequences of sinning, right? That's his, uh, that's his, uh, that's his most important, uh, um, awareness, most important philosophy. Um, and Rabbi Eliezer, uh, Rabbi Eliezer Omer Lev Tov. What do you think of Lev Tov? There's something so ambiguous about Lev Tov, I feel like. The others are clear. Be a good friend. Be a good neighbor, right? Um, you know, th- those, are, those are easy. Those are sort of, right? But having a good heart, what does that mean to have a good heart? To have compassion. Uh-huh. But isn't this, I'm not, I, I know biblical Hebrew's uh, heart is wisdom. It's, it's a wisdom. Uh-huh. Good, good, good. It certainly could be. It certainly could be, right? So, so it's, it's not about an emotional thing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So be smart, right? Or, or be knowledgeable. Be knowledgeable. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like the half the Jebacholovavcha, you know, in Shema or something like that. Um, right. So heart is right. So right, I guess specifically that love God with all your heart. Right. That's the first uh, thing with all your being. So have a a good being. Right. A, what what are you? You're your mind or you're your emotions. Have a good mind. Have a good emotions. Think about be in tune with those. Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
but it's so um, intangible, right? In other words, what's the best thing to be? How can you describe the derech yeshara? Other, other, in other um, references, it's derech yeshara. Here it's derech tova. But how can you... Uh, how can, you, how can you say one thing is the best way to be, right? So somehow, if you say something that could encapsulate uh, more, you're, uh, you're, you're closer to right, hitting the nail on its head. Uh, there's somebody over here that... Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Knowledge from the heart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not only knowledge from the mind. Right, right. Right. Knowledge from the heart is not just knowledge from the mind. Right, right. Both. Both, both. Okay, yes. Great, 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 great. Your heart pumps the blood into, throughout your body and the spring pumps the water, right? So somehow, even, you know, the ma'ayana mitzgaber also is something that so, encompasses so many things, right? The same way the heart encompasses so many things. Yeah. I wonder why this choice of these that are missing, uh, specifically in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of relationships. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's something, um, I mean, I think we all know that it's hard to be a parent and it's hard to be a child, um, but there's also something, you know, biologically it's less hard to be a child than a parent, only if you, you know, if you're in touch with all of the uh, particulars of the relationship, whereas, um, whereas, a friend is um, our friend is sort of I guess more obviously complicated. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. It's a good question. If you pay a loan and you don't, uh, if you borrow and don't pay back, um, what is it? Uh, is it connected to Haroyeth and Olad, though, seeing the future? Yes, because you have to know who Right, so it could be a metaphor in general for not seeing the future. If you borrow and you don't pay back, you're not seeing the consequences that are going to come from that. Right, so it's, uh, it is sort of a line along, uh, along the same lines. Um, um, but he, you know, again, so either he's using, so most likely he's using sort of a metaphor to represent the opposite of haro'ez hanolad. Someone who doesn't see, see consequences of actions is someone who borrows without paying. Um, and that sort of encapsulates, uh, encapsulates it all. Uh-huh. 
that makes sense. Um, okay, so for t- so I just want to point out. Um, so Haman Rush Loshad Varim, right? They say three things. Rabbi Eliezer says, in, so each one says three things in, in now 15. Rabbi Eliezer says, right? So that the honor of your friend should be um, should be uh, as dear to you as your uh, uh, as your own. Um, uh, and don't uh, be easy to anger. And do tshuva one day before you die. Um, and warm yourself by the fire of sages. But uh, beware, right? They're, they're coal, the glowing coal might burn you. Their the bite could be the bite of a fox, and their sting is out of a scorpion, and their uh, hiss is out of a serpent, um, and all their words are like uh, coals on fire. Um, okay, so I guess I want to just point out one thing, and then if you, so, so uh, Rabbi, and then we could talk about it. So Rabbi Eliezer says uh, his, the first thing he talks about is about a friend, right? Rabbi Eliezer is, of course, the one who says, Ayin Tova. Rabbi Yehoshua, who's the one who says about Chaber, the first thing he says is, Ayin Hara. Right? Um, and I think one way of, under, of like noticing this is to say they're the perfect Chavuta, right? So one says uh, the most important thing is Ayin Tov, and the other says the most important thing is Chaber Tov, and they've learned from each other. And then, uh, you know, they come together, and then when they each tell their... Uh, they're, they're saying of three things, um, you know, Rabbi, Yeshu, Rabbi, um, uh, Rabbi Eliezer mentions first the importance of friendship, and Rabbi Yeshua mentions first uh, the importance of Ayin Tov. So anyways, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice thing to, to notice. Um, does anybody want to comment anything? Well, certainly the last part about uh, Chachamim is very interesting, right? That warning. What do you think about that? Get too close to them, right? They make you. Uh, they, you certainly 
hear stories of that, uh, you know, from the last century of people who, uh, who try to keep their distance because they will. I, I'm not exactly sure what it's for. Either it's to really filter out who, like, genuinely wants to be close to them and who, and who doesn't, or it's, uh, or it's a filter for something else. As a way to assert their authority? Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, right? If they, they, they want people to respect their Torah, so you can't... Right, so they have to... They put up this harsh uh, front. Yeah. Right, so I don't know, is it a criticism of these Tamidei Chachamim or is it sort of just a statement of fact, right? This is, this is how they are. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly I think it's very interesting and a lot more we could say about that. Um, okay, but I think I want to move on. And then... Um, uh, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Elazar are also sort of uh, things that you might expect. And I think if you look deeper, you could see sort of how it's connected to their, uh, to other parts of their personality that Rabbi Yossi and Zakai has, uh, has described to us. Okay, any other comments people want to say? Anything that came up of your coverage over that section? Um, okay, so let's look at some things in Chapter 3. Um, so here, um, so here, you know, so much of Pirkei Avot is sort of like, you know, nice lessons, and then there's this section of things that are really, that are really harsh. So, um, so five, Rabbi Chanina ben Chachinai Omer. Uh, so by the way, he's a student of Rabbi Akiva's, and he actually is considered one of the ten Harugei Malchut, ten people who were killed. Uh, during the time of the Romans, along with uh, Rabbi Akiva. Um, and he says, So someone who stays awake at night or who travels alone on the road or someone who turns his heart to uh, idleness, um, this person is, is guilty of, of, of deserving of death, really. Um, so what do you think about that? Okay, right. So mitchayev b'nafsho is a, is a halachic term that you're a chayav b'nafsho, right? If, if you sin in some ways, you're chayav, your, your, your punishment is that of death, right? And that we see in certain, uh, you know, in certain, in certain cases. Um, so here, he's using that, state, that phrase, the same harshness of the phrase, right? Don't sin, lest you, uh, don't sin certain sins that are punishable by death to things of, of, um, of safety, at least the first two, right? Don't, walk, don't, if you don't stay awake at night and perhaps which might lead you to travel the streets on your own unless you're putting your life in danger. Um, and then, umufaneli bolavatala, what does that mean? How is that? Um, turning your heart to idleness. What, what does that mean? Well, it could be not. Uh, yes. Okay, good. So not studying, not working on yourself, maybe even not working. You know, being a bum, right? Doing nothing all day, right? Um, um, 
um, so right, someone who someone who doesn't care to, to to work, someone who doesn't care to work on himself, someone who doesn't care to do anything. Um, so that person is jeopardizing his health, right? Um, I think you could read it. That person is uh, is you know there's certain elements of depression you see that people who sort of can't get out of bed, right? And that's uh, and that's and that's the sickness. Um, so somehow, don't lead yourself to a cycle where uh, where you could harm yourself emotionally or psychologically. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. when you're uh, in a safe place. Don't study. Don't be walking on the street. And, uh, And 
fields and other, you know, other beautiful things are bad. Uh, but the, but the, but if you're mafsik, if you don't make the, if you uh, don't see the connection between them, then, uh, then it might be bad. Okay. Any more comments on these? I'm sorry to be rushing, but I want to get to the last section. So this last section, I think, is um, is extremely interesting. Um, so the whole, these whole things are forms. Um, so in general, right, in general, what's, what, what's the structure of these fours? At least most of them, there are sort of two corresponding traits, and either you have both of them and you're, and you're good. If you have neither of them, you're bad, and you have, there are two sort of in-between states, right? So there, there are four permutations of having these two traits. Um, in general, we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of um, descriptions of four things. Right, or, or four types of people, right? Where else do we see four types of people? Yeah. On Pesach, there are four types of sons, right? Um, there's something about Sukkot that there are four minim also, the four species also represent four types of people. So this, we, const- we constantly have, um, we constantly have uh, this four. Um, and the truth is, I think, you know, especially with the Arba minim, it's, uh, it's associated, the four species of uh, Sukkot, it's associated that one is, um, is, um, is what? Okay, so one is one smells good. It has to do with smell and taste. That the etrog smells good and tastes good. But one, is, but it's also corresponding to like being a, a tamid chacham and having masim tovim. Are you knowledgeable and do you do good deeds? Um, and so one, so anyways, there's again. So the lulav has neither. Doesn't have knowledge and doesn't do good deeds. And the others are. Are, uh, are uh, having Torah and Masim Tovim, and the Etrog is both, and the in between cases. Um, I think you could say about the Arba Banim also is that, you know, it's an issue of sort of uh, intellect, or sort of wanting to know, and also wanting to be connected to the community. So the Chacham wants to know and wants to be connected to the community. The Rasha doesn't want to know, doesn't want to be connected. Um, the Tom perhaps uh, wants to know, but he. Um, or um, he wants to know, but he doesn't, doesn't ask a deep question because he doesn't know to be connected to the community. And the Sheno Yodel Yishol perhaps wants to be connected, but he doesn't know how to ask, so he doesn't know. Well, anyways, I think you can sort of uh, um, see that, see, see that it's sort of, you know, two permutations, four permutations of two characteristics. Um, you know, in life, there's all, we think of the dichotomy of good and bad, right? Things are very easy when you have two choices. One is good and one is bad. Um, but in real life, we never are really making that choice between good and bad. In real life, they're always, uh, well, you might choose one thing that's good, but with it might come something that's bad. You might choose, okay, I want to get stuck up, but really I don't want anyone else to get stuck up, so therefore, uh, you know, I'm the only one who gets credit. Or I might work for some organization that tries to get people to do good, but, you know, on myself, I'm not going to give. Like, there's, you know, in life, things are complicated, right? Things aren't black and white. And I think the rabbis, are by, show, by showing that there are four choices, right, they're not just two choices, um, um, echoes that or emphasizes that. Um, and I think that, um, I think in many of these, uh, in these characteristics, you have um, also one is sort of your, uh, one has to do with yourself and one has to do with uh, others. So especially, I guess, the, uh, the stucco one, you yourself give stucco versus having, uh, wanting other people to, uh, to give, um, to give stucco. Um, I think perhaps one of the most difficult ones of these is the first one. So if you look at 13, we have arba midob ba'adam. There are four traits of a person. 
What's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. So either this is the average opinion, right? With, you know, I have my stuff, you have your stuff, or this is midat stom. This is the this is the characteristic of stom, the city of immorality that needed to be destroyed. Um, you know, during the time of Abraham. Um, the other opinion is shali shalach shalcha shali, right? What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, and that's the am ha'aretz, which I think could also be interpreted. So either as like a fool, what do you mean? What's mine is yours, and yours is mine? That doesn't make any sense. So either the fool, or I think it also be termed as as like a community person or a communism, right? That's what's yeah. in communism, right? So, uh, anyways, it's um, uh, it's not so. Not that I'm advocating communism, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not simple foolishness. It is sort of a philosophy. Um, and the Hasid is shali shalach b'shalcha shalach. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is yours. So that's seen as as this incredibly generous person, right? Whatever is mine is yours, whatever is yours is yours. Um, but there's also something sort of disturbing about that, right? I know, like, you know, with my kids, if she says, if she says to me, like, yeah, um, you know, we can always play whatever my friend wants. Like, no, that's not okay. You have to stand up for yourself, right? Um, um, so, um, and the rasha is shalcha shali v'shali shali, right? Yours is mine and, my, and mine is mine. Um, so, if the, and also the question is, what is yours and what is mine? What are they talking about? So here I see that the English mentions that it's property, so in terms of something substantial. But I think it's not necessarily that. It's sort of like an attitude, right? My business is your business, and your business is your business, right? In other words, like, I want you to always care. Uh, I want you to, um, or, I don't know. Um, uh, it, could be, it, could be, it could be more than just, than just, um, than just property. Um, I think it's especially interesting if you look at it in light of what we mentioned in uh, chapter 3, um, verse 8. Which is when we say to God, Tem lo mishalo shalo, right? You give to God because you and yours are God's, right? So the Rasha saying, uh, yours is mine and mine is mine, the Rasha thinks that he's God in some sense, right? He's, uh, everything belongs to me the same way everything belongs to God. The language is, is, is the same. Um, you know, only everything belongs to God. Not every, everything does not, of course, belong to the Rasha. So, anyways, it's interesting seeing that um, in, light, um, in light of the other. Uh, but I think that this, uh, I think that this statement is, um, yeah, I think this whole, this whole paragraph, I think, is sort of difficult. Yes. Oh, that's just, that's just style. Often at the end of, often at the end of the verse, um, you use, like, you use the feminine, like, modima nachnu lach. Right, you say to, to God, but often at the end of a verse that you use feminine. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's just the language. There's no uh, deeper meaning to it. Um, but any, so any other thoughts about this? Yeah. So you think the shali, shalcha, and shalcha, shali? Oh, oh, you think the, are you saying the mine is yours and yours is yours? Yeah. Uh-huh. So if everybody, 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 ever